When I say can you dig it, put your two hands up like that. Hey, 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 everybody. We are back with another episode of Can You Dig It? A podcast by silverscreenandroll.com. I'm Christian Rebus, joined by Jacob Rood. And later in the show, we'll be joined by James Boyd of the Indie Star uh, to talk about Russell Westbrook trade packages because we are at that point in the offseason, at least from a Lakers perspective. For teams that aren't the Lakers, the NBA playoffs are still going on. And honestly, there are two games that caught my attention um, today, or at least the ones I had the most fun watching. That was Warriors-Pelicans, which was just Curry and Jokic going at it. Uh, Warriors-Nuggets, yeah. Did I say Warriors-Pelicans? You did. That'd be a fun series. I mean, the Pelicans are fun right now. It'd be fun <laughs> against anyone. But yeah, Warriors Nuggets was Curry and Jokic going at it. And then, uh, yeah, Suns Pelicans was the other game. I got ahead of myself a little bit. <laughs> and uh, we'll start with Suns Pelicans because I think the last time we recorded was coming off the heels of a Pelicans win and us talking about like, you know, how good this Pelicans team is, but we don't want to get ahead of ourselves in in terms of what this team can be and, and the discourse around the Pelicans actually winning the Anthony Davis trade, whatever. We're not going to, we're not going to discuss that any further. It's just utter nonsense. What I will say is I have so many conflicting feelings about them because on one hand, my Brandon Ingram agenda is thriving because uh, he was really, really, really good again on Sunday night. 30 points on 11 of 23 shooting from the field to go along with five assists and four rebounds. So that's all good. Uh, Larry, you know, productive off the bench, a plus 14 in the box score. All great stuff. I'm rooting for those guys hard. The fact that it has to be on the Pelicans just <laughs> pains me. I... uh I don't like it. And I can throw in all of these, you know, asterisks that Devin Booker isn't healthy and, you know, Chris Paul doesn't look 100%, whatever. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that because the fact of the matter is the Pelicans with arguably lesser talent than the Lakers had. I think from a roster construction standpoint, they're better. Um, but they don't have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and they are just playing their butts off and giving the the Sun teams uh, a run for their money. And now they're in the same position the Lakers were a year ago against the Suns. Again, context matters. Devin Booker is out. Does not matter. You play who's in front of you. The Pelicans are lots of fun, and it sucks. <laughs> uh, if there is one team in the NBA that does not – get to say a word about injuries it is the phoenix suns (laughs) and that's not even as like i i made that point to some friends and they're like oh just let it go you would have lost the series anyway i'm not even like talking about the lakers their like trip to the finals was littered with guy with teams that were without their best players and i and listen the argument like 
it, it doesn't take away from what they accomplish, but it is what it is. Yeah. And so if the good fortune isn't in their favor anymore, then they are not even remotely allowed to uh, to comment about injuries. I'm watching. I keep watching their post game comments like like a hawk because uh, AD dared mention that he thought the Lakers would have won that series and they just went at him. So they better not say a damn word about injuries. But that that game was a ton of fun. I decided tonight early on in the game that I was just I was fully committing to rooting for the Pelicans. I know that there is this uh, I don't even want to say rivalry, a tension between the two fan bases. And uh, I know Pelicans fans do not like me, but I, I, my disdain for the Suns is greater than my disdain for anything with the Pelicans. And they're, that, they're just a fun team. Like, um, that was a memorable win for them. And the Suns were absolutely rattled. Like, uh, Jay Crowder making some wild turnover where I don't even know who he was trying to pass to. And I contend that if it were a January regular season game, Chris Paul would have been tossed for a flagrant two because that was wind up in a smack to the head. Uh, I imagine because it was a playoff game that they weren't going to throw him out of it. But Chris Paul making a number of interesting plays. Uh, he was uh, like a non-factor in the fourth quarter. So the Pelicans are doing an incredible job. Herb, or Herb Jones is wild. Like he doesn't even make sense uh, how good he is defensively right away. Uh, you had Ingram. They've CJ McCollum has fit in like perfectly there. Valanchunas. Uh, I mean, he was always productive, even in Memphis. Uh, I it was more of a fit thing that they traded him, but um, it made sense for both teams. And he he had a huge night. And it is wild, man. Uh, the Suns look absolutely rocked and on their heels right now. There's there's no Booker coming. They have absolutely no momentum now. And it is going to be a fascinating game five because New Orleans has every bit of the momentum in this series. Yeah. And, you know, that's where I felt the Lakers were last year. And it's crazy yeah. to think about that because you look at the Pelicans and you're so excited about the trajectory of their team, whether or not they'll get to the heights that the Lakers did the season prior or, you know, the Warriors are at right now. It just doesn't matter. I think uh, this season in particular has just put into perspective uh, for me that uh, really all that matters is that, that you're, it's a fun time watching basketball and that your team is like competing. And maybe that's because, I mean, outside of the Warriors, I think the West is pretty wide open. Um, and certainly if the Pelicans win this series, which I'm not certain they do. Uh, I Has it been reported how long Booker's projected to be out yet? Uh, I don't think so, but hamstring strains are typically pretty tricky. I would be a little surprised if he came back. And if he does, it might end like AD trying to come back last year during the playoffs too, because – that's something that you can pretty quickly re-aggravate if you come back too quickly. 
Yeah. So I, I just a quick Google search uh, tells me that it typically requires two to three weeks of uh, recovery. And that's what ESPN uh, included in their story. So um, let's just say that the Pelicans do win this series. In that case, absolutely. The West is wide open. Uh, and where, what is this? Our second week in, into the NBA postseason, and mm-hmm. no team has been eliminated yet. Um, and that is not where we have been in past years. I think that's very cool. I think it's awesome that, uh, I mean, some series will end very soon, <laughs> yeah. uh, spe- specifically that Celtics net series. I think, um, the nets are not a serious basketball organization, which is not what I was expecting to say this time last year with Kyrie KD and James Harden, but you know, here we are. There, I just quickly on the Nets. Uh, for one, Kyrie has the least self-aware quotes ever after every game. Just stunning about how, oh well, the Celtics have been gelling since Christmas, and we haven't, or whatever. It's like, yeah, because you why wouldn't, you wouldn't get a <laughs> shot. Like you're the reason. Uh, two, for everything that is going or that has gone wrong, that is just all the wildness of the net season. Like, I feel like the one person you can't really criticize right now is Kevin Durant. Like he's had a bad series, but like that man has carried everything for this franchise this season. And uh, like, obviously he's being targeted. I mean, it, the nets look like a team that haven't played together with their like full like group because Kyrie, him hot around for however long and they had injuries and like Joe Harris isn't even there and whatnot. So uh, it pains me to see how good the Celtics are doing. Um, but yeah, the, the nets are, uh, they look like the seven seed they are. It's weird. Cause when you look at the roster, I mean, I would take, take that roster. The top half of their bench rotation is like really, really good. Uh, it's like Bruce Brown, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Nick Claxton, Goran Dragic. Um, it's a little guard heavy is like part of the problem in that, like, I mean, between Dragic, Curry, Patty Mills, even with Joe Harris coming back, like they have a lot of guards that can make impacts, but like not any kind of wings. Like Durant's really the only yeah kind of small forward-esque type of player. And he had to play 46 minutes <laughs> against the Celtics, like, that's not sustainable. Like, I mean, Ben Simmons would fit perfectly into that hole, but who knows right. if he's even going to play until October. I don't want to say that this postseason has highlighted the importance of like big wings and versatile forwards. Cause I think you can make the argument that the Lakers championship run in 2020 highlighted that importance and, you know, their importance the, has been highlighted for a while. Right. The shift from like, okay, small ball, you know, what does that actually mean? Does that mean three guards on the court at one time? Or does that mean defensive versatility and, and you know, forwards that can defend multiple positions, knock down three-pointers, whatever. The Lakers had that. Uh, I'm not bitter. It's just annoying watching these this postseason and – Looking at teams like the Lakers and the Nets and their roster construction, uh, they're just small. And small teams, unless you're 
you know, Draymond Green, six, 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 seven, generously, whatever you want to call him, with a massive wingspan and like arguably one of the greatest defenders of all time. Um, you know, small teams are just going to get bullied in the postseason. And it's worrisome when you look at a team like the Nets or the Lakers and the position they're going to be in in the offseason in a competitive market for wings uh, because you do have all that salary committed to your star players. And then you're scraping towards the bottom of the barrel for these rotation level forwards who some might take veterans minimum discounts to play for what they perceive to be championship contenders. Uh, But outside of those two or three players, the veterans minimum players you're going to get are making what they're making for a reason. I tweeted the other day that, Going strictly based off of vibes, Blake Griffin is absolutely a Laker next season. <laughs> oh God, I didn't, I, was, even, I didn't even think about that. Blake and uh, and Lamarcus, I could totally see just like saying peace out to Brooklyn and and coming to the Lakers. That would be hilarious. Lamarcus Aldridge coming to the Lakers like ten years after his free agency uh, fiasco or whatever. What a, a storybook ending to a very interesting <laughs> time in Lakers history. Uh, I mean, it worked so well last time the Lakers took a big man from the Nets and uh, employed him for most of the season. So, I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't go back to that well. Uh, <laughs> I, the, the one thing that these playoffs, and this is kind of in line with that, it, that it, I don't even know how to word it, but like the importance of depth and like the team that like, I adopted or whatever that I'm following for the playoffs is the heat. I haven't really talked a ton about them because they're just mauling the Hawks aside from blowing, giving up like a 16 0 run or whatever it was uh, in game three They're They've pretty much dominated the Hawks and they did again on Sunday, but like they have so much depth that they lose Kyle Lowry and they just kind of dust off Victor Oladipo who comes in and, uh, just absolutely like changed the game for him. Like he finishes a plus 28 in 23 minutes. Uh, he played like effectively the whole fourth. Actually, I can look like whole fourth quarter. Maybe uh, he did play the entire fourth quarter. And uh, he was like, he's a difference maker that hadn't played at any point this uh, series yet. And it just, frustrates me all over again that the Lakers went the path they did with uh, their roster because they had this type of depth and they were able to turn to different guys in different situations and still get production and still remain a competitive team. And that's what it takes as much as anything else. Like, sure, you need this type of player and that type of player, but you just need depth and like guys willing to buy in and, like the Lakers had that that season in the bubble. They had guys buying into their roles. They would be willing to not play this night, play this night, not play this series, play this series. And like, I don't know if the front office took that for granted or what. I know we've talked about this, so I don't want to fully rehash it. But watching that Heat series and um, seeing them turn to somebody who just like wasn't even in, just wasn't playing, not even just like in the rotation, like, Oladipo hadn't played at all in the postseason for them, at least meaningful minutes until tonight. Just reminded me that, like, the Lakers couldn't do that. Like, 
Yeah. The Lakers equivalent of that was to try to have Trevor Ariza play or Kent Bazemore, and that never went well this season. Yeah. It's... I just really hope the postseason goes well, or the offseason goes well, and that uh, my Blake Griffin to the Lakers prophecy is not fulfilled. Um, I almost feel bad for putting it out into the universe, but again, I am just a vessel for these messages. I do not send them. Um <laughs> Last thing before we head to break, just looking at the playoff bracket, uh, it seems like a few series are going to be coming to an end soon. You mentioned that Miami Atlanta series, Miami leads that three to one Philly's up three, one in, in their series against the Raptors, uh, Milwaukee up three, one against the bulls and Boston up three, nothing uh, against the nets. Do you think it is safe to say that the Warriors are going to be the first team in the Western Conference to punch their ticket into the next round? They like probably should have done it uh, today, Sunday. Uh, yeah, they they're going. The Warriors are going to start Steph in Game Five, and they're going to win that one in a blowout. I think. Um, I it's a shame we didn't get to that because I had some takes about the fact Jokic got benched in a must win possession for oh, talk about it. We, we got nothing but time for that. Look, <laughs> I said this a little bit tongue in cheek and I know this apply. This has happened before, but like if you're the MVP of the league, I don't know that you can be benched in like a must, like a, your season's on the line and like a, a possession and it was a defensive possession with like 25 ish seconds to go, I think. And Mike Malone benched Jokic because he was getting absolutely just obliterated on the defensive end. Uh, there was a lot of things that I had questions about with their defensive approach. Uh, they were just willingly letting Jokic switch onto Curry repeatedly, and Curry was just being very rude to him. And uh, I said it a little tongue in cheek when I tweeted it, but like in this specific MVP race and like none of this is actually going to matter because the votes are already in, but like in this specific MVP race where like the margins are so thin, like Joel Embiid isn't getting taken out of the game in a must like a season on the line defensive possession. And uh, I mean, I, I would have, voted for Embiid regardless but that just like made me do a double take that like and I when I tweeted it people were like oh well it happened to Curry and it happened to all these guards that they listed Steve Nash or something I'm like yeah I mean maybe I over overreacted a bit but damn like Jokic was just getting exposed repeatedly defensively and then like the Warriors were doing some wild things defensively themselves down the stretch they were running zones they ran a box in one on a center, which I don't think I've ever seen before. Uh, none of this is to say it's like Jokic's fault because he had like 37 and 18. Like that team is just a shell of itself, the Nuggets. But that that one like maybe do like a double and triple take. Like, damn, your season is absolutely on the line and you had to bench Jokic because he's getting destroyed defensively. Like that one was wild to see. Yeah, DeMarcus Cousins putting in a small shift in the backup center role. I was impressed. Um, but yeah, I, we had a, I guess, similar conversation uh, with our good pal, 
uh, Justin Russo, who contributes at Clips Nation from time to time, about Rudy Gobert and his like defensive player of the year candidacy. It's not that Rudy Gobert isn't a good defender. It's just when you slap the amount of accolades that like Nikola Jokic would have if he's a two-time MVP or that Rudy Gobert has now that he's a three-time defensive player of the year? Question mark. A lot of times, yeah. We just fact that really uh yeah, three-time defensive player of the year. Just silly. Like it's not their fault that they were given those accolades. Um but well, when stop you... me from firing off jokes though. Well, and but you're absolutely right. Like one, Twitter is for jokes and trade rumors. It is literally my pin tweet. <laughs> Number two, it is absolutely narrative driven. And you know, all media voted awards are narrative driven, whether you know the most object objective vote getters, you know, hate to admit it absolutely plays a role. And it's the same thing for viewers in the postseason. If you have three-time Defensive Player of the Year Rudy Gobert, Gobert on the floor, and you as a the head coach of the Utah Jazz have to game plan around his offensive deficiencies, and honestly, when teams start targeting him on the defensive end in the postseason, then yeah, people are going to look at you a little funny when they see that three-time Defensive Player of the Year. And it's the same thing with Jokic, like, if Jokic were to be a two-time league MVP, it's like, okay, we get it. Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are not healthy. And if they were, we'd probably be having a different discussion about the Nuggets as a whole. They're going to be really, really good next season if everybody's healthy. So maybe this isn't the season to do it, but God, that is that is a lot of pressure to live up to. And it just makes what LeBron's done, what Steph's done, um, just so much more impressive because they do have all those accolades. And every time you watch them, you're like, yep, <laughs> makes sense. That was, that was Steph today. Like he's, he's still not starting. He, uh, I mean, he looks pretty close to a hundred percent. I wouldn't say he's not a hundred percent, but yeah, with like the game on the line and, uh, a chance to close it out on the road. Like he was making some incredible plays, 33 points, uh, he had a couple of huge shots that I thought were just daggers, but I mean, to the Nuggets credit, they kept answering and Jokic, even though he was like the complete focus of the defense, uh, he fouled out Draymond uh, 37, eight and six. Uh, I mean, he was, he was incredible on the other end of the floor. And again, maybe I'm putting a little too much into it, but it was just wild to see like, damn, if the Nuggets don't get a stop, like, the season could be over and the potential two-time MVP is sitting on the bench watching it. Now, again, to his credit, he called out what the play was going to be. So, like, I I don't know. Like, it, it was just a weird scenario that played out, and um, it just kind of caught my attention because, yeah, as you said, when you have that many accolades, like, there's an expectation, probably a bit unfairly at times, kind of, uh, applied to you that you have to live up to some sort of standard. And um, it was just wild to see Jokic had to be take, taken out of the game because I mean, it was also Steph that's targeting him. So like, it, it's not like many people can effectively guard him, but it, it was brutal down the stretch because Steph was just over and over dusting him. And I mean, that's to your point, Steph, absolutely. It feels like lives up to just about every moment now. 
Don't apologize for uh, creating agendas. I literally started the podcast off by saying it is hard for me to enjoy the Pelicans, arguably the most fun story <laughs> in basketball because of how much my agenda has to go into it. Hey, I wish it took, it took three and a half games for me to get there. But I mean, <laughs> listen, come to this side. It's a lot more fun to cheer for Alvarado and Herb Jones and whatnot. And then next round, I'm not even entirely certain who they would play if they go if they move on to the next round. Then when they face Luca or the Jazz or whatever, you can root against them. It would, uh, yeah, they would play either the the Mavericks or the Jazz. That's goddamn. That is a wide open Western Western Conference. Uh, I'll end the show on this. Jose Alvarado is so cool that not even like Lin Manuel Mor- Miranda name dropping him uh, in like a song would make him less cool for me. <laughs> He's incredible. He's he. I love that in game one, Chris Paul did like the like knew that he was going to come from the corner to try to steal it and did like this. Ah, you're not going to get me. And then Alvarado got him tonight. It was incredible. Like there's a, a serotonin boost you get from watching this Suns team specifically yep. uh, just implode. And that was incredible to watch tonight. They suck. I, I don't like. Um... Just because I think Chris Paul is a good basketball player doesn't mean I have to root for him. Uh, and I certainly don't have to root for Jay Crowder. I I, I don't like Jay Crowder. Um, that'll do it for this week's show. We'll be back this, next. This half of this week's show. Yeah. Oh, you are absolutely right. Uh, it's not often we have a guest on this show. And so I'm so used to closing uh, this show out. But you're absolutely right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have James Boyd Indiana Pacers beat writer for the Indy star to talk about why uh, the Pacers may or may not do a Russell Westbrook trade. That'll be us when we get back. And we're back guys. And we are now joined by special guest today, uh, Indianapolis star Pacers beat writer, James Boyd, uh, James, uh, both of us uh, had, very short seasons this year. How are you enjoying an early off season now for uh, for covering the Pacers? Yeah, so obviously it's my rookie season on the NBA beat, so I definitely appreciate having the time off, although it was uh, kind of disappointing because I know some other first-year writers, shout out to my guy, Michael Cole, um, covering the Grizzlies for the commercial appeal, whose season is still going, obviously exciting times over there. But for me, it definitely was a good chance to kind of recalibrate and get ready for what should be a really big offseason, not only for the Pacers, but for the Lakers and a few other teams around the league. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting offseason, as you said, for both teams. And they're both going to be pretty linked for uh, the foreseeable future for obvious reasons. The Russell Westbrook uh, future in L.A. is almost certainly done. And the Pacers are one of the teams that have been mentioned most as a potential trade destination for him. So we thought we'd bring uh, James on to just talk about the potential of trading for him and, and things of that nature. And uh, I believe about a week or so ago, you wrote a piece just talking about Russell Westbrook and the possibility of him coming to LA. Uh, you were not in favor of it. Um, I mean, I guess just kind of what was, are your feelings about the Pacers potentially trading for him? So my biggest number one reason why I think they would not do it is because they got Tyrese Halliburton. Um, mm-hmm. If they had not gotten a player of his caliber at the trade deadline and they were still like full-blown tank mode with no real direction, 
then I can understand why you would, you know, get a guy like Russell Westbrook, get his contract, get that expiring money to open up some cap space. But since you have a pretty special point guard already, um, I don't see the value, even if, you know, you get Russell Westbrook and you get some first round picks and things like that, of the value of getting him and having him come in and either buying him out or playing him, you know, at the detriment of your, your future point guard. And um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but they've, you know, the, the Pacers president, Kevin Pritchard, he referred to Halliburton before he even played in his first game, like an hour before his first game, he had a press conference, talk about the trade deadline. And uh, he, he basically likened um, Tyrese Halliburton to Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. Oh. Like, this is our guy. Yes. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and and that's how highly they think of him and the pressure they put on him. You know, Rick Carlisle, you know, the coach of the Pacers, he mentioned that Tyrese was a, you know, franchise caliber guard before they had formally met. This was like after the trade became official and I was still, I think, in Atlanta at the time. So um, he's the number one reason why I don't think they would go after Russell Westbrook, although I understand it money-wise. And then number two, the second biggest reason is they do not intend to bottom out anytime again soon. Um, from everything I've heard, it was really hard for, you know, the owner in the front office to kind of concede because the Pacers, as you all know, um, have always been like this middle of the road team um, outside of Reggie Miller years. They're ne they've never been like really, really bad, but never like all that great either. They had some Eastern Conference Finals runs, obviously, with Paul George. But this was the first time in like 30 years, and ironically, this would be their first time having a single digit draft pick since 1989, that they bottomed out and, and really like tanked and, and not played well, um, not had a good season and, and made some moves, obviously, that were not uh, conducive to winning. So all that in mind, I do not see them running it back um, with this young core, um, possibly getting healthier. And then, you know, basically, if they trade for Russell Westbrook, conceding to have another bad season again for some draft picks that are really far off. Like if the draft picks were, you know, next year, 2023, I think the Lakers can't even like trade a pick or something like that. First round pick that is until 2027. So that's a that's a ways off. And I do think they would like to be more competitive, um, you know, quicker than then. So those are my main two reasons. There's other reasons, but I'm sure you all can kind of explain why it would be you know important for the Lakers to at least explore it because as you know Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald um, do have some value to the Lakers and what they can present um, as far as helping that team and their issues. I think where this conversation starts for a Lakers fan and I guess where the hope is is rooted in the idea that Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald are like neutral assets because of their contracts. Like they're obviously good players, but I think after this season, you know, Buddy still has two years on his contract and, and Malcolm will have three. Yep. And I, I don't think people realize that Buddy's contract is sneaky good. Maybe he's still going to be slightly overpaid, but he's going to be making less money from here on out uh, because of the way his contract is structured. I think that's interesting, but from a pure number standpoint and, and long-term salary, do you or the people you've spoken to share the idea that Brogdon and Buddy, that, that that's money they're trying to get off of as opposed to flipping for, you know, an upgrade? Like, are those two players they think they need to get off of or are those two players they think are positive assets that they can turn into 
a supporting player for for Duarte and, and Halliburton. Yeah, so I would say, and I'll give you my political answer, I think that a lot of it is predicated on where they end up in the draft. If they mm-hmm. end up with a top three pick, um, then they could very well say, hey, maybe we do want to flip these guys to get better assets. If they get burned and end up with the ninth pick, <laughs> like I said, and they kind of want to win, I would say they want to keep those guys. I would say that in my opinion, and and just based purely off just you know common sense, Buddy Healed doesn't miss games. Malcolm yeah. Brogdon does. Like on average, he <laughs> plays like 55 games a year. He's he's always injured with something. And the unique thing about him is there's always a variety of things. I'm lucky I think he had a concussion this year. We got elbow by Evan Mobley. And it's like anybody with a concussion getting elbowed by a guy that big. But um, I think he's the one, in my opinion, that will be more likely to get moved just because Buddy does space the floor a little bit better with shooting. Um, he has shown a, an ability to, to have some playmaking. And he's really good friends with Tyrese Halliburton, your, your franchise caliber guard, your paid man, your Andrew Luck. Um, now, that's not saying he can't be moved at all, but I would say that Malcolm Brogdon is probably a little more in my opinion, um, likely to be moved just because if you're trying to, you know, get better, get younger, um, and get healthier, checks every box as far as trying to get him out. And he does present some value. Like people know he's a good player when he was healthy this year. He was pretty darn good. He had 19, five and five. So it's not like he can't play. It's just that if he's not out there and, you get a top three pick and you can pick a guy like Jaden Ivey or, or a guy like Jabari, you know, uh, uh, those are guys that, you know, might be able to, to fill that, that wing role and get younger and things like that. So that's the biggest thing for me is, is, is the health. Like if Malcolm Brighton was healthy, I don't think he would even be really considered as like a trade piece, but the health and not being available is, is kind of hard to, to sell me on that because the guy is always hurt, frankly. Yeah, the best ability is availability. Absolutely. Uh, the, I mean, you kind of touched on that with uh, something you said earlier, but, I mean, these guys are due uh, about $100 million, I think, between the two of them over the next uh, couple of seasons. So, I mean, just from that standpoint alone, it, a rush trade would save them about $60 million. But, I mean, as you said in the piece, it, it, and as you said earlier, it doesn't sound like they really have you don't think they would have much interest in in buying him out or or John Walling him and sitting him aside for the whole season or anything like that? No, I I, I could not picture uh, the Pacers buying out a guy for $47 million and just not having him play. Um, I do think that if the Lakers threw in like a ton of picks where it would just be like, you know, on like some 2K, like, like okay, this is like <laughs> video game-esque and it doesn't really make sense for them to – give all give this all to us and we swim then it'd be different like I say hey you know we don't have five first round in whatever and Russell Westbrook then I absolutely think they'll make that trade because it's just too good to be true but realistically from what I heard from Zach Lowe and a few others you know they're throwing out Russell Westbrook and like two first round picks um I don't think that that would be enough to really sway the Pacers to to bring him in um, even if they weren't able to even if they didn't buy him out again to basically commit to having another bad season back to back because whether you keep Russell Westbrook or if they were to trade for him or they buy him out that's 40 million dollars for 
not very good basketball. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for Russell Westbrook. I think he's obviously the first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's not the player he used to be. And what I, you know, noticed in his exit interview, it doesn't seem like his mindset has maybe changed to realize who he is in the league now. You know, he basically said, I didn't have a triple-double. So to me, that's like beneath my standards. Well, if you come to Indiana and you take the ball out of Tyrese Halliburton's hands um, to average a triple-double, you're stopping Tyrese Halliburton's growth and you're not going to win very many games. Like, could he get you to the play-in or the playoffs? Yes. But are they getting out the first round? No. Um, and I just think that Tyrese, Tyrese Halliburton is too valuable. And frankly, right now in his career, he's, he's much more efficient um, as, as a player than to, to kind of hand the keys to Russell Westbrook and see what he can do to kind of make you a okay basketball team. Would something like this, like a consolidation trade uh, for a big short-term salary be more enticing uh, just to you as like somebody who follows basketball or from like a roster construction standpoint, um, if Russell Westbrook wasn't a guard or if he was maybe like a more productive player than he is right now, because a name I've kind of drawn the the Pacers to, or like even in a three-team trade with the, the Lakers is Gordon Hayward. Because I know the Pacers have like long rumored interest in Gordon Hayward. And obviously the, the injuries have just piled on even, even I think after Gordon Hayward's initial injury, the Pacers from what I read were still had some level of interest in Gordon Hayward and, you know, obviously the hometown ties. Mm -hmm. Now I think it's a little less interesting because of just how often he's injured, but I'm curious if, if you thought because because the Pacers don't want to play Russell Westbrook or deal with the headache of sitting him. If somebody were to go to the Pacers in a three-way trade, like a Gordon Hayward, or, you know, a different scenario is the Lakers getting a massive trade exception back for Russell Westbrook. Mm -hmm. Do you think the picks alone or like a combination of, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, who Tyrese Halliburton's really close with, mm -hmm. and um, a first round pick. Do you think that's enough for Brogdon and Buddy? I think that they wouldn't probably think so. They probably want a, a first for, for, for both guys and, and possibly a young asset. But I do think you made an interesting point about Gordon Hayward because I think that the Pacers are missing a, a true playmaking wing, um, which is obviously like, that's the league now. I mean, outside of your, your top guard, a lot of these really good teams have a lot of guys who can switch on defense, who can um, make plays on offense and they're longer lanky guys. And I think that Gordon Hayward, his type of player style of player is something that would entice them even more. Like I would even say that that's more likely to happen than a Russell Westbrook trade, because like you said, you have, they have the ties to Indiana um, but even outside of that, if you're gonna, you know, the only caveat is the injuries. It's like, man, would I would I get rid of Malcolm Brogdon um, for a guy who is injured as much, if not more, than him? But I do think his style of player is is very conducive to what they would try to do because um, they don't really have a wing that can make plays. Um, they have O'Shea Brissett. He's pretty good. He's more of a slasher, kind of like a low maintenance, uh, high reward type of guy. 
But I do think a guy like him will be more enticing. And that's probably why they, they want to hopefully get in that top, you know, four, five, three range in the draft so they can pick somebody who's, who's in that position and young, you know, 20, 21 years old. So um, we'll see. But I think that obviously would be a, a much better uh, avenue for them just because you don't want to clog your backcourt. I think even now with Malcolm Brogdon in the few games he played with Tyrese Halliburton, there were some questions about, okay, when does Tyrese shoot? When does he play make? When is Malcolm off the ball? And most of the time when they were in together, Malcolm did draw a lot of those late game scenarios when it was close. And it, you know, begs the question of, okay, you know, do you want to bring in someone else who's even more ball dominant than him? So um, they're in an interesting spot, but like I said, a lot of their problems, quote unquote, are good problems because they have a guy like Tyrese Halliburton who you have to think twice about before you make a trade for another guy who could come in and get touches and has to have the ball to be effective. It's good problems to have when your kind of baseline is Tyrese Halliburton who... Yeah, 22, yeah, man. Yeah, and a ton of fun. Uh, kind of switching to talking about Brogdon and Buddy in case there is some scenario, a three-team trade, a two-team trade, whatever it is, where those guys would come to L.A. I wanted to talk a little bit about each of them. Uh, I'll save the buddy talk because Lakers fans talked a lot about him uh, last offseason. <laughs> but uh, but Brogdon is an interesting player because he's only a handful of seasons removed from a 50-40-90 year, but also that's one of only two times he's played more than 60 games, which – kind of seems to be the uh, issue with him. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, how do you kind of judge him when, uh, I mean, it, he's very talented, but also it's impossible to look at him and not see all the injury issues as well. That's the biggest knock on him. Um, he's a talented basketball player. Um, he's relatively efficient. Um, you know, yeah, like I said, at 50, 40, 90 year. Other years he dropped off a little bit, but for the most part, he'll shoot. 35, 34 above from three, not great, but obviously not terrible. Um, you know, he can get to the rim, he can score, he can play make. He's actually a pretty solid defender as well as a six five guard. I know you remember him checking LeBron a few times and giving him a you know a couple of problems. Um, but I do think he's getting older, and how much can you bank on a guy who's going to turn thirty soon um, being available when he's never really been available in his career? Um, so that's my biggest thing and why I said the Pacers will want to probably move on from him if they got his opportunities this offseason. And also why, on the flip side, teams that would be interested in him have to realize, um, and the Lakers learned this in a hard uh, uh, lesson this year, it's like, yes, they can be healthy going into the offseason, this and that, but you kind of have to go off track record. Like, I personally, I don't expect LeBron and AD well, mainly LeBron to like play 75 games for the rest yeah. of his career. He's an older guy. He's dealing with the, the, the injuries that us normal humans probably would have had a few years quicker than <laughs> him. But um, I don't know if you want to bring in a guy who's more injury prone than that and hope that, you know, by some miracle, he can play 60 games, like you said, for the third time in his career. I just don't think that's the, a feasible way to move. However, I do think it would be a better opportunity if they were able to sweeten the deal, whatever, if you're able to get rid of Russell Westbrook and bring in Brogdon, I still think health wise, if he gives you 50 games, whatever, it's still better than having someone who, again, in his mind thinks he's a top five player in the league, um, as opposed to a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who knows 
um, when he's out there, what he can do, what he can't do, and um, can actually make some some shots. You know, I'm, I'm not being disrespectful to Russell Westbrook. It's just shooting the ball wise. I trust Malcolm Brogdon do that a little bit better than Russell Westbrook. Actually, a lot better than Russell Westbrook at this point in their careers. Malcolm, Brog- Malcolm Brogdon is who Avery Brad or Frank Vogel thinks Avery Bradley is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> man, man, Avery Bradley. You know what it is, man. Like, and I, I was guilty of it. They got all these names together, and you just think like they might have something left in the tank, but it's clear he's not who he once was. He's done. Yeah. Um, White's not even who he once was two years ago. Um, you know, and, and, and things have changed so much. I was watching the game the other night and JaVale McGee looks great out there. And I'm wow. Like this is the guy that can't go Alex Caruso taking a charge on Giannis to help them not get swept. Oh. And I know Alex Caruso will that hurts. listen to this, but um, I do think going forward, it'll, it'll make them think twice about, you know, getting older aging players who have injury history. Um, so we'll see. I mean, obviously, like 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 I said, Pacers have Tyrese Halliburton, Lakers have LeBron James and AD. So with that alone, you should be able to figure out something to um, have a much better season than you had this past year. You swung big, you missed big. Um, someone's got to eat that crow and then move on and, and hopefully make some deals to, to – so as LeBron tweeted out, he, he, he's been watching the playoffs with the rest of us. Yeah, he also apparently has a LeBron curse this year or this uh, playoffs as well. So so I'm worried that he's tweeting that out a bit. But uh, last thing, I mean, we we can talk about Buddy a little bit. And he's kind of the opposite in terms of availability for Brogdon. This was his fourth season. He's played 80 plus games uh, and he played a, a really big role in Indiana when he got there. How was his kind of half season or, or third of a season in Indiana this season? I was shocked at his playmaking. Like his assist numbers went through the roof. It's probably because he played. I mean, he played a ton when he was here. I don't know how much you want to play Buddy Healed if you're like a really good basketball team. I'm going to play him <laughs> 30, 35 minutes a game. But um, his value is pretty unique because one thing that Rick Carlisle pointed out, and it's just the way the NBA is now. He's like, man, this guy's probably going to end his career as one of the most prolific three point shooters ever. Um, you don't think that he's a Hall of Famer. He's never been an all-star, but Buddy Hill can really shoot the ball. Um, he had a down year this year, and I believe he shot like 36% from three, which yeah. is, you know, a little a tick above, I believe, league average. So um, he's a guy I think that they value a lot just because they know he's going to be there. They know he, his, his one gift or his one skill isn't going anywhere and shooting usually doesn't leave you with age. Like he's not high flying high above the rim. He's not attacking the paint, Buddy he is running and shooting. And that pretty much works out well for him. So um, I think that he's a good piece for the moving forward. But again, if you can get younger, if you can get assets that um, are, you know, if you can get a first round pick and a young guy uh, that can move around or a wing three and D type of guy, I think you should look at that. But I, I could totally see them keeping him around just because his production was pretty well in Indiana. And um, he's pretty well received from the locker room. Um, he's an older guy. He's been through, um, you know, some tough seasons. And I think that he – one unique thing about Buddy is, like, he hasn't played um, meaningful basketball in his career. So he's – from what everything I've heard, he's really wanting to be a part of, you know, a playoff push, a playoff run, a play-in game, something – to make his career kind of worth it. Cause right now he's made a lot of money. He shot a lot of threes. He's, he's done relatively, um, you know, well, as far as what he's been asked to do, 
in his career. But now he's like, man, he's, he's saying like, dude, I just want to get to the playoffs. I've never experienced this before playing and actually having a chance to win games. So I think that that alone is probably enough to convince the Pacers to maybe bring him back for this upcoming season. Just because, again, this is to say you can't trade him later. Like you can look at the trade deadline or for the upcoming season if things don't work out. But I think with years remaining on his contract, the way he shot the ball, his desire to play winning basketball and be a part of like winning basketball um, makes him a valuable asset moving forward. But it was interesting to see, man, like he did it behind the back on like a fast break and went in and laid it up. And I was like, I have never seen you go behind the back <laughs> in a fast court setting or fast break setting ever. So, um, but he was, it was a breath of fresh air. And that, honestly, because the Pacers were on a, a horrible three-point shooting team before they got him in Halliburton. So those two alone helped raise the offense, but defensively they slipped a lot, but obviously you're not getting buddy here for defense. Yeah. And he's someone, as Christian said earlier, who uh, the way his contract is structured and just his skill set is always going to be valuable that it doesn't, I wouldn't imagine there's any kind of urgency in, in trading him. He's always going to have that type of, of value as a, as a player's well, that is all we had. We we really appreciate you coming on and talking all this with us. Uh, let the people know where they can find you on social media and find your work at. You can check me out on Twitter, Instagram, Romeoville Kid. Uh, I got some photos. I got I even have some ones from a Lakers game way back when because I'm, I'm a writer, but I, I do the photography just because and I try to get the photos up. But you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, um, IndyStar.com. Obviously, got to plug the, the people that pay the bills. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you all for having me on. I'm excited for this off season just because I think it's going to be huge. And um, I would say Lakers fans relax. Like I said, you still have <laughs> the best player of this generation. He just averaged 30. Now, I know it was like 50, what, four games, something like that. 52 games. Yeah. It wasn't his full season. However, you're still the best player of this generation. Um, you got Anthony Davis. Hopefully he can get himself together and, you know, get, I don't know, go vegan, get a little, get a little stronger. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens, but it should be fun, um, and obviously there's a lot of playoff basketball left, so if you're a basketball fan, make sure you tune in for that and, and don't be a hater and enjoy um, what could happen because it's, it's pretty much wide open this year, although the you know the Warriors are making me a little nervous because they got Steph 2.0 over there in Jordan Poole. <laughs> it has been a, a nice palate cleanser after a terrible Lakers season to watch playoff, <laughs> watch playoff basketball. So, again, appreciate you coming on, and we will be back next week, guys, to – um, perhaps talk with some Hornets people about a uh, potential trade over there as well. So make sure you guys are subscribed if you haven't already and have a great one.